All right, good morning, guys. How we doing? Good to see you. Oh, there you go. Now I'm on. Uh, good to see you guys. So uh, those of you that are visiting from out of town, nice to see you. My name is Grant. I probably met you in the hallway already. Um, but I am the, uh, I can actually say pastor of H2O Church now, so how about that? Um, no. So uh, it, it's great to have you here this morning. We are starting to wrap up a series that we've called the Upside Down Kingdom. And uh, that's been a journey through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been doing that pretty much all semester. And the reason we call this sermon series the Upside Down Kingdom is because throughout the Sermon on the Mount, you see Jesus giving a lot of teaching about what life in his kingdom looks like. And what we've come to notice is that a lot of it is very different from the way that this world works, okay? Jesus calls people blessed that this world would generally not call blessed. Uh, This world values a lot of comfort and security. Jesus seems uh, to value sacrifice. And so we've seen uh, time and time again throughout this sermon how uh, things can look really good on the outside, but God doesn't really care so much about that. He cares more about what it is that's going on in the inside. And so he's starting to wrap up this sermon, and we're going to get to a pretty heavy passage today. I'll be honest, um, it's not one that I've been particularly excited about preaching on, but uh, at the same time, I think it offers us a great opportunity because there's some really, really, really important truth that we're going to cover this morning. Uh, So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, and uh, our main text is going to be verses 13 through 20. Jesus said this, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Okay, so like I said, this is a pretty heavy passage. Um, it's tough. It, it's, it's difficult. Jesus is, is laying out before us something that's actually a pretty clear truth. It's not tough so much in the sense that it's hard to understand what's going on. It's tough because I think that most of us naturally understand exactly what's going on, and it's hard to swallow. Um, he lays out very clearly the fact that there are two paths that people can take in life. There are two gates uh, that you can choose to enter through. Uh, one is narrow One is wide. One leads to life, and one leads to destruction. I remember when I really started um, taking my faith a lot more seriously in middle school. And I started to let my life be shaped by the Word of God when I started to make a commitment to really study His Word and uh, to decide that I'm going to base my life, my worldview, my values, everything off of what God has revealed in His Word rather than the way that I feel like I would come across passages like this sometimes, and they kind of, they twist at your heart, don't they? Because naturally, none of us like to believe the idea that the wide path that most people are on, right? That many, he says many are are those that are on the wide path. He says only few find this narrow gate. The, The idea that this wide path that many are on leads to destruction, does not sit, it still doesn't sit well with me. As a matter of fact, it shouldn't sit well. I don't think it sits well with God. We know that God desires all men to be saved. But 
this is the reality that we live in. And so I'm fa- you're, you're faced with the decision, if you want to value the word of God, to say, am I going to let that shape my worldview, or am I just going to operate off of the way that I feel is right? Um, I remember, as I was saying in middle school, when, when I, this transformation kind of started to happen with me, I was having a discussion with one of my friends who uh, was kind of the typical American believer, uh, you know, didn't go to church very often, would say that he uh, kind of had some sort of profession of faith, but it was really just kind of, I believe what I feel like. And uh, I, I still remember this from back when I was a young teenager, um, him saying, I just can't imagine a world where most people don't go to heaven. And that's the common view that, that this world lives on, right? That everything just naturally works out well in the end. Um, countless funerals uh, that have people that speak about how the person is in a better place, right? Uh, people console themselves with this kind of uh, stuff all the time, even though most of the time there's no evidence that that person has actually um, made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. No evidence that they've repented of their sin. No reason to actually believe that there uh, is that they are in a better place. If if you do believe the Bible, as I said, this is heavy stuff, right? Um, and Jesus, and this is, this is why it's so important for us to get into the scripture and to let this shape us because these are the kind of messages that popular culture will not tell you, okay? These are the kind of messages that you and what you want to be true are not going to come up with on your own. And so we have to let the word of God shape us. Jesus was no stranger to, to difficult teaching, Okay, he had people turn away from him on several occasions. Uh, go read John chapter 6, right? He, he tells these people about how uh, unless you eat my, my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. And people were freaked out by it. And John six sixty six says this, uh, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus is a man that gave difficult teaching. He gave true, true teaching and good teaching. And, and the gospel is a wonderful and amazing message. We're going to get into some of that this morning too. Uh, but you do have to realize that if you've decided to become a follower of Jesus, that you need to take all of his teaching, okay? And this is part of that. So um, let's pray and ask that God will guide us this morning. God, um, we love you. We thank you for being a good God. God, we thank you for the fact that um, there even is another choice, that, that we're not all just automatically stuck on the broad road that leads to destruction. God, we thank you for your incredible patience with us. We thank you for your incredible love for us. God, we know that you care for this world, and honestly, uh, there are times that we read passages like what we've read this morning um, that unsettle us. God, I still I have a hard time understanding it. I don't like what I read in some ways. God, I don't want people to be headed for destruction. And God, I I believe that you don't either. I thank you for making a way in Jesus Christ, God, and we ask that your grace um, would would cover us, Lord, that that here in this room, Lord, that, that we would be people that put our faith in you, people that enter through the narrow gate. God, I pray that we'd be people that point others to the narrow gate, that help them to find it. And God, uh, we just ask that your word would cut us to the heart this morning, but that it also build us up. Lord, that it bring us closer to you. We love you. We thank you so much for who you are. We ask for your wisdom and for your guidance. It's in your son's awesome name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, so really, I, I have one big point for my sermon this, this morning, and everything else flows from that. And it's quite simply that you have a choice to make. 
Jesus is wrapping up this sermon about life in the kingdom. This, and there's a little bit more we'll get into next week. And as he's bringing it home, he's really trying to help uh, his hearers understand that they are at a crossroads and they must make a decision uh, with what the info is that they have available to them. He lays it out in front of us. He tells us that there's two different gates. They have two different paths. They lead to two very different destinations. He tells us that there are two different kinds of trees, which represent different kinds of teachers. Okay? Now, it's almost as though we're on one of those game shows or whatever, where there's, you know, two doors that you don't know which, which one you want to pick. But Jesus has given us the answer. He tells us what the right one is. He says, hey, enter through the narrow gate. That's, that's the correct one. You see that? I know a lot of people, imagine you're on like the Price is Right or something. And all the, you know how the crowd always shouts out what they think is right? That whole, the whole crowd is shouting out, the wide gate, the wide gate. It's got to be a car behind there. There's something big. It's good, right? And Jesus says, no. The narrow gate, that, that's the one that you want to choose. You see, we're, you're going to get all sorts of messages that conflict with what Jesus has told us here, right? There are going to be uh, some people that try to make you think it doesn't matter which gate you choose. They're, they all lead to the same place, and you're going to get the same, same prize no matter what. Um, someone will say, hey, choose the wide gate. It fits more people. Everybody else is going this way. Why don't, why don't you want to join along with us? Your own emotions might tell you to choose the wide gate, because don't we love getting caught up in what everybody else is doing? Man, I've noticed that more and more, especially college students, uh, love getting caught up in whatever the next big thing is and, and wherever all the energy is. And so as we see people rushing along towards the wide gate and the broad road that leads to destruction, we can find ourselves getting caught up in that. The fact of the matter is, this is the most important choice that you will ever have to make. Okay, um, is there anyone else in here that, that hates making decisions? I, th- I think a lot of us hate making decisions. There, there's some decisions I like to make. There's, there's some I really try and delay. But um, two decisions I've noticed that people freak out about a lot, especially for college students. One is, uh, change, is their major. Okay, how many of you guys have changed your major in this room? Before? Okay, These, I, studies show 80% of college st- students on average will change their major at least once. Uh, American college students will change their major at least once. And... Uh, the average is that most college students will change their major three times over the course of their career. So um, we have a hard time deciding what we want to do with the rest of our lives, right? Uh, Another one is uh, who you're going to marry. One of the main reasons that people live together oftentimes before marriage is that they can kind of test drive the other person, right? I want to get an idea of what it's like to live with you before I really commit to to marrying you. they're, they're afraid to kind of take that, that great leap of faith. Now, uh, it, that's a bad idea. There's plenty of studies that show, actually, couples that cohabitate before marriage generally have less successful marriages than ones that do. Uh, but nonetheless, we get really worried about that des- decision as well. And in some ways, we're right to, to kind of fear those decisions, right? They're, they're big. Like, your, your major is going to affect your career, and that's going to affect what you do for the rest of your life, or at least until you're old enough to retire, and then that's going to affect what pension plan you have or whatever else. Um, the, you know, who, who to marry? Like, that's a big decision, right? Like, you, when you make that commitment to that person, you're saying, I'm going to stick with you for, like, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, like, till death do us part. These are huge decisions. And so we, we feel the weight of them. We, we have a difficulty with it sometimes. Um, 
But as big as those decisions are, they still don't even compare to the decision that Jesus is laying before us here today. Okay, because both of those decisions that we struggle with so much just relate to this life. Okay, that's all it is. The decision that Jesus is laying before us not only impacts our entire life in every area, but it goes on into eternity. Jesus is telling us that these paths lead to very different destinations. I cannot even fathom eternity, right? Like, can you even begin to get your mind around the idea of something that never ends? I can't. Like, we're, we're so conditioned by time, we really can't fully understand it. But Jesus is talking about the destination these paths lead to. Now, some would say that this passage uh, is only talking about things on this life. You know, if you make good choices, they lead to life. If you make bad choices, they lead to destruction. There's some truth in that. But I think that more likely when Jesus is talking about these destinations, he's talking about the eternal destinations of heaven and hell. Um, Just a, a few chapters later... In Matthew, uh, Jesus warns, and Jesus actually brings up the idea of hell and eternity a lot in Matthew. I know that a lot of people don't like to talk about that because they only like to see Jesus as as loving, and he is very loving. Um, But you'd be surprised. Go read the Gospels and see how much Jesus actually talks about hell. In Matthew 10, 28, he says, uh, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Jesus, uh, you'll see him warning people uh, many times throughout the Gospels that, there, that hell is a real place, a real destination, uh, that, that when he talks about this path that leads to destruction, it doesn't get any worse than the kind of destruction that is coming here, right? He says there are people that can destroy your body here on earth, but there is one that can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Okay, now at the same time, this is the same man that said, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. So uh, the, the other side, the reward is just as great. Eternal life. So, so we, we have complete, like, terrible destruction, worse than, than what I can imagine, and we have eternal life, life that is more full, more abundant, and better than what we can imagine. And these two choices are laid before us. No matter what it is that you like to get caught up with in this world, no matter what it is that may distract your attention, I implore you to understand the the weight of the decision that Jesus is laying before us here. And I would encourage you to talk to your friends about that too. Um, Because, man, when we think about all the other things we stress about, they really don't add up to this. Now, I want you also to realize that the fact that we have a decision to make at all is truly amazing. Okay, the, the fact that we're not just all stuck on the broad road in general is only by God's grace. Okay, uh, the reaction that we can have to a passage like this is uh, oftentimes we kind of get angry, upset. We think there's an injustice. So like, wait a second, how is it that all these people could go to hell? How is it that all these people could be headed uh, towards destruction? And I think that oftentimes, first off, I want to say, if you feel that way, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, I feel that way a lot of times too. I desperately want people to be saved, okay? And and I'll be honest, I hope that God's grace is applied in a wider way than I understand that it is. Um, But I have to go off of what he's revealed to us in the scriptures. You know, maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe his grace will be applied in a wider manner than than I understand. But right now, it seems to me that that Jesus has laid before us a, a choice that's pretty clear. 
a wide gate and a narrow gate. And that's what we have to live off of, and that's what we have to, to preach. Now, we oftentimes think that we're entitled to heaven, or that we're entitled to good life, right? Like, isn't that the natural uh, perspective that most of us operate from? That as long as you're, like, not a terrible person, like, hell is for people like Hitler and Stalin, and, like, you know, whatever. It, it, as long as you're, like, a pretty decent person, which everybody thinks they're a pretty decent person, um, you know, you go to heaven, but that's not actually what we've earned for ourselves. If we, if we think, what is it that God owes us? Let, let's see. If we go all the way back to Genesis, uh, God told this to Adam. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. So, God had already given Adam all sorts of good things, right? Like, can you imagine being put in this garden of Eden? Like, the Lord is speaking to him. He has all this kind of stuff that he can eat. It's provided for everything like this. He says, you can't do this or what? You'll die, okay? Now, what does Adam do? He eats from the tree. What happens to Adam? He dies. It's not instant, but he dies eventually. And all of us have followed in those footsteps, right? All of us have committed sin just like Adam. The apostle Paul points out for us that the wages of sin is death. What is a wage? A wage is something that you earn, right? If you go work at McDonald's for eight hours, they owe you some money, okay? That's your wages. You've earned those. Now, if you get a gift from me on Christmas, you didn't earn that. That's just something that I chose to give you. But if we look at where we are, God has given us life, and what we have earned is death. Adam earned death, and we have earned death in the same way by choosing to sin in the same manner that he did, disobeying God. Now, Romans 6.23 doesn't end with, for the wages of sin is death. There's another part to that verse. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we need to reset our default from realizing, oh, everybody just deserves heaven, to actually... Everybody deserves hell. Like, that's actually what we've bought for ourselves. That's our wages. That's what we've worked for. That's what we've earned. But then God opens up this idea where, like, wait a second. Yes, that is what all of you have earned. That is what all of you are naturally heading towards. But, but wait a second. There's a free gift that you have available. And what is it? Eternal life. In who? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Essentially, God is opening up the narrow gate. Okay? All of us are on that broad path, naturally. All of us are sinning against the Lord. Uh, we know that we're guilty before, and we know that we're not worthy of heaven. But what is this? There is a narrow gate that's opened up. And, and God invites us into this. And guess what? It says eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you realize this? Jesus Christ is the narrow gate. He, he himself is the very gate that he tells us to enter through. Look at this. Um, Jesus said this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is our gate into that eternal life, right? We already talked about John 3, 16. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Look at John 10, 7 through 9. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is our narrow gate. 
How amazing is that, that the very gate that Jesus implores us to enter through is only there because of the work that he did. You know, we're, as I said, we are uh, in a spot where we have to make a decision, right? We have to make a decision of whether we're going to continue going along towards this broad path, kind of just drifting along with the stream, or if we're going to hear the words of Jesus, we're going to respond to them, and we're going to choose to turn and to find the narrow gate, to enter through that. Now, you have to make this decision based on some level of faith, okay? Whatever gate that you choose, though, is based on some level of faith. I want you to understand that. Um, Because you might be hearing all this, and maybe you understand it, but you have a hard time buying into it. You know, why is it that I should trust that Jesus is the only way when there's all these other religions out there that say they're the only way? Or, um, you know, what's the chance of of just one being right and all these other ones being wrong? Uh, I I get it. It, There there can be a certain level of difficulty with believing the claims of Jesus that he is the narrow gate and that he's the only way to the Father. Um, However, I want you to understand that whatever choice you make about life, it's going to be based on faith, okay, as, as far as your eternal destination. The big questions in life, they're, they're all questions that none of us can absolutely prove, right? And what I call the big questions in life, how did I get here, okay? Nobody can, can give you a definitive, proof-filled answer of how we got here. Everybody can give you what they think, and they can bring in evidence for it, but at the end of the day, you cannot prove how we got here. Or how about why we're here? Purpose in life, right? Would you agree that that's a pretty important question? It affects, I don't know, everything that you do. Um, important question, right? How do you have proof? Can anybody definitively prove to you what the purpose of life is? How about where we're going? Okay, we know that we die. We can prove pretty easily that that happens, but what about after that? Is there anything? If there is something, where do you go? Once again, we're stuck in a spot where nobody is able to absolutely prove to you what's going to happen there. So your life will answer those questions. Your life will answer those questions, especially the purpose one and the where am I going question. Even if you decide, oh, I'm going to sit this one out. There's not enough evidence for me to make any decision, so I'm just going to kind of abstain from making a decision. Well, that's making a decision of itself. That's saying, even though Jesus is making this claim that I'm headed on the broad path of destruction and that he's the only way to salvation, even though he's making that, I'm going to choose to not listen to it. So you have faith, at the very least, that what he's telling you is not true, okay? And if you, if you are going to make that decision, you say, well, what is the faith, what, what is the evidence that's leading you to believe that what he's saying is wrong? Jesus doesn't ask us to have a completely blind faith, okay? There, there is good reason to believe what we believe as Christians. When I say that our uh, decision to enter the narrow, narrow gate requires faith, it does, um, But it doesn't require us to believe with absolutely no evidence whatsoever. When I go back to these big questions, I have to look at this and say, what is the worldview that makes the most sense in answering those? I have to decide, do I believe that there's a God that that created this universe and that's how I got here? Or do I believe that everything came into existence by accident out of nothing? You have to believe something crazy, okay? Like, no matter what you, something crazy happened. Can we agree on that? Like, if, if, if we're here, something crazy happened. No matter who you are, if you're the biggest atheist in the world, you have to agree. Like, by definition, that's a miracle. Like, it's something that was completely unexplainable, that we have all this stuff, and it came from who knows what or where. And so I look at that and say, well, 
does the evidence of the universe, the fact that we live in a universe that works by cause and effect, that we've never seen any effect that we look at and say there was no cause for it. We have an infinite number of trials that we can look at and see that. We know that our universe works that way. And say, yeah, well, for whatever reason, when it started, it didn't have a cause. Is, is that more logical, or is it more logical for me to say there had to be something outside of our universe? There has to be something that's not bound by the laws of our universe that works to create this. And that's what starts to lead me to say, well, yeah, okay, I have to have faith either way, but to me it seems like a less of a leap of faith to believe that there's a God. And we can go on and on down that line. If, I don't have time to get into a huge apologetics thing this morning. If you're interested in more stuff about the defense of the faith, come to our winter retreat in a couple weeks. That's, the whole thing is going to be themed along this idea of the defense of the Christian faith and seeing how uh, the Christian worldview really is a logical worldview that fits together and gives a great explanation of our world. Um, so, you have to decide, am I going to have faith to believe the words of Jesus, or am I going to have faith in saying he's wrong and I'm going to believe something else? Now, most people, as Jesus showed us, make the wrong decision, okay? And that's tragic, right? Many are those that, that enter through the wide gate. Few are those that enter through the narrow gate. Why is this? Well, the narrow gate is hard to pass through, okay? And I'll give you a couple reasons for why the narrow gate is hard to pass through. Um, first off, if, if we were to look at the Greek of what's going on in this passage, in verse 13, uh, the word stanis is used, which is very accurately translated as narrow. Uh, but if you go down to verse 14, it says this, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. So we see both these words small and narrow. Now, and one of those, one of those words is still stanis, uh, but the other one is a Greek word called tethlimene. And this is a word that's almost always related to persecution. Okay, it's this, this idea of almost being persecuted into a small and, and confined and uncomfortable space. And Jesus makes it clear that his followers uh, will face persecution in this life. Okay, if you choose uh, to enter through the narrow gate, you choose to walk on the narrow path, you will experience some sort of persecution in your life. Okay, now that can take many different forms right? It uh, doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to be jailing you, stoning you, things like that. Uh, but on some level, you will face persecution. Now, some of that uh, could just be even from an internal sense, right? Like you, you have to fight against a lot of self-doubt. You have to fight against a lot of condemnation. You have to fight against um, a lot of things internally. But also, there are going to be people in this world that want to oppose your faith. Uh, Jesus said this in John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Uh, let, let's not forget that the world hated Jesus. Like, I, I feel like we let that slip on us a lot of time. Like, do you realize Jesus was crucified? <laughs> like, I know it's like the most basic thing in our faith, but it, uh, it seems like especially in our culture today, everybody wants to act like they love Jesus but they don't want to follow his actual teachings. Like, they, they want to pick some of it and say, oh yeah, he was a great moral teacher. Like, he, I love that stuff that he said about loving other people and all that kind of stuff. But then when we get to this stuff where he talks about narrow and wide gates, or where he talks about himself being the door, where he talks about himself being the only way to the Father, they all of a sudden want to throw that, that part out. Like, it's the same Jesus. 
His, his teaching is incredible, but it's also difficult. And the world hated him for that. The world crucified him. And if we're his followers, he says, don't be surprised. The world hated me. It's going to hate you too. Okay, now in a sense, are we called to live at, at peace with the world and try and be salt and light and be good? All this kind of stuff, yes. And so in some ways, the world's going to love us because we should be making a positive impact on this world. But also, don't be surprised when people oppose you because of your faith. The narrow gate, the narrow way has a certain level of persecution that's involved with it. Also, uh, the narrow gate is hard, not because uh, most people aren't invited, but because you can't bring anything through with you. Okay? It's tough to bring a lot of stuff through a narrow gate, right? If it's wide, I can drive my truck through it and bring a semi in there, whatever. If it's narrow, you're not coming in with anything else, right? The only thing that can make you enter through the narrow gate is faith. It's by God's grace that we enter. You can't bring any of your works, any of your pride, anything that you want to hold up as your trophies before God about why he should be entering you, letting you enter into the kingdom. That won't help you. Matter of fact, you've got to shed that stuff at the door. Remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes? Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those that realize that they have nothing to bring. Those that are impoverished in spirit realize I am a sinner. I am separated from God. I am deserving of his wrath. But by his grace, I'm, I'm going I'm to appeal to his love. I'm going to put my faith in the sacrifice of Jesus, knowing that he paid for my sins on the cross. I'm going to bring nothing. I'm just going to enter by God's grace. That's how you enter through the narrow gate. This made me think about um, my experience out in Colorado this past summer. I was there for six weeks, and there's this really cool place called Old Man Mountain. I kind of describe it as like a tunnel, but a, or as like a cave that's above ground. Um, you feel like you're in a cave, but you're actually not. It's just a bunch of rocks, like huge boulders, uh, that are really closely stacked next to one another. So once you go inside, you feel like you're in a cave. And uh, pretty close to the beginning, there is an extremely narrow pass that you have to make it through. And uh, when I went out there at the beginning of the summer, I was around 200 pounds, right, 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 right where I am right now. And I, like, I couldn't make it through this gate. Like, I was trying my hardest. I had that red jacket on over there. It's about the thickness of a hoodie. I could not make it through this pass. I was like, shoot, I'm not going to be able to do this. And uh, so eventually I took the jacket off. And as I shed the jacket, I was just skinny enough to be able to pass through this gate. Literally, that, that was the difference. I couldn't make it through with the jacket, and I could without it. And when I think about Jesus calling us to enter through this narrow gate, just like I had to shed that jacket uh, to be able to make it through this narrow pass, he's calling us to shed our pride. He's calling us to shed all of our earthly accomplishments, everything that we want to try and bring before him and enter by nothing but his grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, when you hear that entrance to the kingdom of heaven comes only by grace through faith, in some ways that would make you think it's easy, right? And in some ways it is. Jesus did all the work for us. It's awesome. But what does it say? So that no one may boast. Do you know how hard it is for us not to boast? Jesus saved us in a way that he's not going to allow that. So you've got to drop that stuff at the door. The other reason uh, that most people make the wrong decision is because there are false teachers that encourage the wide path. Uh, Jesus warned us about this, so we'll go back to what he said in verses 15 through 20. 
Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. Jesus makes it clear that there are false prophets and that we need to watch out for them. There are many people that will be giving you a false message. They will be directing your attention away from the true narrow gate and directing your attention towards the wide, broad gate that leads to destruction. Okay? Jesus dealt with this, right? I mean, for goodness sake, he's, the Pharisees are present throughout all the Gospels constantly. They're false teachers. Right? What, what did Jesus say, if you remember weeks back uh, towards the beginning of this sermon, that Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So clearly, the way that the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching was a false way. It wasn't going to cut it. Jesus says, if you don't do better than that, you're not going to make it in. He was dealing with false teachers. And these false teachers, by the way, like the system they set up was pretty rigid and pretty difficult, okay? Uh, false teachers can come in many different shapes and sizes. Sometimes they have an easy message. Sometimes they have a difficult message. You can't know just by whether the message is easy or difficult. We have to learn to discern what is true and what is not true. Uh, the Old Testament, we kind of had prophets that were the other way. They were the guys that, that were ear ticklers. They gave these easy messages. They would say that destruction and, and, uh, was not coming when it actually was. This is what the prophet Jeremiah wrote about them. He says, uh, For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. You see, Jeremiah was dealing with false prophets that, that were not accurately communicating what God had actually warned about, what he was saying was actually coming for people. False prophets that wanted to say, peace, peace, a.k.a., oh, don't worry about this broad path. Don't worry about the fact that you're headed towards destruction. Everything is actually good. Sound familiar to the teaching of our day? It should. The Apostle Paul warned that we'd have the same thing to deal with. Look at what he wrote in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Man, like, I, I don't know about you guys, but I read that and I'm just like, that's spot on. That's exactly what the teaching of our day is. Human, it's humanism. It's this ear-tickling teaching. I'm not going to endure sound doctrine. Oh, that there, there will come a day that men will not endure sound doctrine. There's something difficult about realizing that there's a narrow gate and a wide gate, that there are two different destinations, one that leads to life, one that leads to destruction. And there's going to come a time that men will not endure it. We saw people in John 6 turn away from Jesus. It was too difficult of a teaching to accept. And so not only do they choose not to accept it, but what will they do? They will accumulate for themselves ear-tickling teachers, people that are going to tell them the things that they want to hear. Do we not have a world that is full of people that are willing to tell us the things that we want to hear? I mean, I, I see it all over, right? And, and I talk to people on campus all the time, and the prevailing method is always, well, you know what? Everything is okay in the end. As long as you're a good person, everything's going to be fine. 
It's the same thing the false prophets in Jeremiah's day were doing. It's the same thing that Paul warns us against here. And so he tells Timothy, implores with him to, to endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. If, everything was, if everyone was just automatically leaded on the path of life, if they were all headed there, what is the work of an evangelist? It's not even necessary. Paul tells him, you've got to continue to do this. You've got to endure the hardship. You've got to fulfill this work. God has given you this ministry to be an evangelist and to be a pastor. You have to always be pointing people towards the straight, hard, narrow road. So the false prophets, though, man, like, they they come in sheep's clothing, right? They're not always easy to see. Jesus tells us to, to watch out for them because they're coming in sheep's clothing, Uh, But inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. They look harmless, right? Somebody that comes sounding very similar to what Christian doctrine is, preaching the idea that God is love, which is true, Uh, preaching, you know, the idea that he wants everything to turn out all right, whatever. Maybe there's a lot of things. Maybe they kind of have a veneer that even looks very good to us. But Jesus says, watch out for who they actually are inside. Because although they come in sheep's clothing inwardly, they're, they're looking to destroy you. They're the Trojan horse. Looks great on the outside. Inside, it's full of death. You know, it's not always easy to identify these people. And so Jesus tells us, you've got to look for their fruits. Look at what their life produces. Okay, what is fruit? Fruit is something that a tree produces just out of the very nature of what it is. I'm not a botanist. I'm not great at... Uh, being able to identify different plants and trees and that kind of stuff. If I was to walk up to an apple tree in the winter, or I don't think they yield apples in the winter, whatever, when they don't have apples on them, um, I, I would not be able to tell you what kind of tree that is. But once the time came for it to bear fruit, I'd be able to say, oh, that's an apple tree. Okay? And uh, in the same manner, if... Uh, there's a buckeye tree or something, something that doesn't produce anything that's actually valuable. Uh, you know, you see, you see these nuts come out. You realize, oh, okay, what this thing is actually producing is worthless. Um, yeah, I was rooting for the buckeyes yesterday. But, but Jesus is telling us you've got to learn to identify these trees by their fruit. What is it that's coming forth from the life of the prophets that you're listening to? Okay, so when we look at what fruit is, um, the Apostle Paul gave us a good window into the different kinds of fruit, fruit that's produced by the flesh and fruit that's produced by the Spirit. He said this in Galatians 5, 19 through 24. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. These are the kind of fruits that are going to be produced in different people's lives. The flesh, it produces the kind of things, the first list. The spirit produces things in the second list. The, the true prophet that is yielding fruit from the Holy Spirit. 
that is abiding in Jesus, right? Jesus talks about in John 15, abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You should start to see the kinds of fruit being produced in that person's life that this talks about here. And if they're a false prophet, then you're probably going to see some of those deeds of the flesh uh, start to be produced in their life. Now, the reality is, all of us, uh, we live in a world where, yes, we still have fleshly bodies, although our souls have been redeemed. And so, you know, you're still going to see some marks of the flesh sometimes, I think, in true prophets. And, and you know what? You might see some of these really good things in uh, the lives of the false prophets. But uh, I, I think at the end of the day, what Jesus is really communicating in this idea about trees and the kind of fruit that they bear is that you can't hide what you truly are for too long. Okay, eventually, what you are on the inside will show who you are. Um, as, as far as other things that fruit could mean, uh, it, it could maybe be related to the kind of followers that that person produces. I, I don't know if I like that interpretation as much. could be included, but uh, you c- can't have a good tree that produces good fruit and somebody does something bad with it, right? Okay, so th- you may have somebody that's giving good teaching and somebody responds to it poorly, uh, that's not necessarily their fault. If I had a good apple tree, gave me a good apple, and I poisoned it, well, the tree produced a good apple, but the fruit was abused. Um, so we have to learn the difference between what that tree is actually producing versus what may have been done with what it produced. Um, <clears throat> so I, I need to start wrapping up here, and basically what I want to get to is uh, what kind of fruit is being produced in your life what kind of fruit is being produced in the lives of the prophets that you're listening to? And then also, the final choice that you have to make, uh, not just in, you know, we, we've talked about this idea of you have a choice. You have to choose which gate you're going to enter. Um, you also have to choose how are you going to influence others and what gate they're going to enter. Right? Didn't Jesus tell us that uh, the narrow gate uh, was was hard to find. There's, there's few who find it. The, the wide gate's very easy to find. We already talked about how we're all naturally drifting towards that gate anyway. So you're left at the crossroads of deciding, not only am I going to make a decision to strip off everything else that I have, all the pride and everything else I want to carry with me and enter through the narrow gate, but am I also going to direct others towards that narrow gate? I will allow them to continue along the wide path of destruction. I want to close um, just with the reminder that we do serve an awesome God. I know that this is a heavy message. I know it's a difficult message in a lot of ways, but God wanted us to hear it, okay? It's in the scriptures for a reason. And I say, what an awesome God we have that he warns us, that he shoots straight with us, right? Don't, if we want to be his followers, don't we owe it to ourselves and to our friends to shoot straight with them too? Man, can we make a commitment to be people that do that? And, and also, can we look at this not just in, in the, the grim reality that it is, but also the fact that, man, there is another gate. Like, we didn't deserve that at all. And God opened that by sending his son, Jesus Christ, who took on flesh, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for our sins. As he died on the cross for those sins, it was, it was taking the wrath of God, the punishment that we deserve was put upon Jesus. And the perfect life that Jesus lived is credited to us, to those that put their faith in him. And with that, that narrow gate is opened. That way to heaven, that veil was torn as Jesus died on the cross. 
and a way was made for us to enter into eternal life. And so let us be people that celebrate that and let us be people that direct others towards that as well. I'm going to pray and the band can come up. <clears throat> God, we just thank you so much for who you are. Um, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that there is another gate. Lord, I ask that you would keep us that uh, leads to life. God, teach us to be people that are discerning. Help us to discern uh, good and bad teaching, Lord. Help us to, to discern true and false prophets. Help us to be people uh, that, that recognize a tree for what it is, that recognize a, a teaching, a prophet for, for what it is. God, let us be people that saturate our minds with truth. And God, help us to be others, to be people that direct others in truth as well. We love you so much and we thank you for who you are. It's your son's awesome name we pray. Amen. So uh, as we close in these last couple of songs here, we're going to be singing uh, one that's some of you may be familiar with, but it's new for us, at least stage H2O. It's called Death in His Grave. It's kind of a poetic song. And um, I, I just encourage you, you know, if you don't know it, take some time to really reflect on the lyrics. But throughout the song, really, the, the message is that we have a triumphant king that has laid death in his grave, okay? As Jesus went to the grave, he died on the cross for our sins, like what I was talking about there at the end of the sermon. Death was left in that grave, okay? And that he conquered it. And so what is it? What is the reward on that other side of that narrow gate? Life, okay? What is it that Adam earned? Death. What is it that our wages of sin have earned us? Death, all of a sudden, right? But, but guess what Jesus did? He came and he conquered death. As he died in that grave, death died with him for those that have put their faith in him. And while, yes, our fleshly bodies will fail, we will be raised to life. We will be raised to life. Just as Jesus was three days after his death, he was the first fruits. He was the one that proved that it's going to happen. And we look forward to the day that that will happen for us as well. Because death no longer has hold over those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that we can enter into eternal life with our Lord. Stand and sing with us.